Heavenly Father, we pray that you would sanctify us, make us holy by the truth, for your word alone is truth. Amen. So this last week I had a a pretty typical experience, pastoring experience. I was at a basketball practice and we were talking with some of the parents. I told them I was a pastor. Uh, And, and, you know, you can always tell people's reactions, assess people's reactions when you say that you're a pastor. A lot of people will get a little uncomfortable. You can tell that they're like, oh, this is a new piece of information about you. I liked you before, but I'm not quite sure what to do with you now, and, you know, that kind of thing. So they got to try to fit that little new piece of information about me into their life. And and that's okay. Um, You know, the the reality I know is that being a, a Christian, but especially being a pastor, is a little bit of a, I don't know, I'm not sure if privileged is the right, right word for it, but sort of a, a favored position in life. You're, you're, you occupy a, a unique position in many people's minds. Uh, sometimes that privilege is a not, the, not the greatest privilege, not the best privilege. People have something of a negative connotation towards it. But I realize that uh, very often that privilege can be an, an extraordinary one. It can up, open up doors. Uh, to be a Christian and, and sometimes to be a pastor can open up a lot of doors as people see things about your life. I think about the, the gentleman I told you last week about who was a, a policeman in the narcotics division for 15 years. And, um, and his chief just noticed how different he was as a Christian. He really lived a, a somewhat of a privileged existence. He was in a, just a different class uh, of people. And Chief noticed that, and he said, you know, what makes you different? What makes you such a different person? Um, so there's a sense of, of privilege, and don't think about privilege always in a, in a bad way, but a, 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 you're set apart if you're a Christian where you live in a different class. Uh, and some people perceive that very negatively. You know, uh, they they really feel like Christians walk around a little bit holier than thou and, and in their own sort of snotty class in life. Uh, but it also means that we have great opportunities to represent a different message to people. And, and that's actually showing that the message that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 becomes a reality in our lives. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Beautiful words. Awesome words. Uh, But the word blessed there that he uses, uh, it it doesn't just mean fortunate or lucky or or even really happy. These people who are blessed, they occupy a a unique, privileged place in life. In the ancient world, the only people who could be described with the word that Jesus used here to say blessed were the gods and um, martyrs people who died for a specific cause. Uh, the, the Christian martyrs were all called blessed with this word because they got to occupy a unique privilege, a unique class in life. And with these words, Jesus is saying, here's a way for you to become privileged. You can be favored. You can occupy, even right now, uh, in a very healthy and a good way, a privileged class in life. You can be favored, you can be highly regarded among people. I mean, we'll put you at the level of the gods. Cool, huh? Anybody would like to be a god? I don't know. I'd take it, I guess. Uh, as long as it's not a bad thing, right? Jesus is saying, the gods, here's in, in the ancient world, we would talk about the gods this way, and Jesus is kind of saying, you can be counted at the same level as these ancient gods. Uh, and... He's not 
he's not saying it's just because bad stuff happens to you. Right? He does go on in the, in the Beatitudes, doesn't he? And he, he says, uh, here's all these bad things that happen to you. And when these bad things happen to you, consider yourself blessed. Uh, and, but he's not just saying, or not only trying to say, when bad things happen to you in your physical life, consider yourself fortunate. Um, because we recognize that physical life is so vital, so necessary. You know, I mean, you can't go a day without a glass of water. And so Jesus wants to draw on that connection and say, if you, if you couldn't go a day without water, what about a day without God? Can you really go a day without God? And maybe more to the point, what kind of a difference wouldn't it make in your life if God was always in your life, present in your life like water? Could, could you be so privileged and, and so fortunate? That's what he wants to picture for us this morning. And, and he's going to lay out this path for discipleship, I think we can call it. Um, you can, if you look at, see, I, I used to think as I looked at the Beatitudes, uh, but I've been looking into them a little more, that if you look at these words from Matthew 5, I used to think, oh, these are just some nice axioms for life. Right? They're nice principles. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you are, are mourning. Blessed are you when you're meek, for you shall inherit the earth. Right? It sounds like there's just kind of nice, nice principles, nice, nice axioms, uh, some, some wise sayings. But Jesus is actually, and the reason I put it into stepping stones here, Jesus is actually laying out a path for discipleship. There's steps here. Uh, there's, there's a pro- pro- progression that you and I can take where we can proceed from saying, here's the life I, I normally live. Now, here's the life I can follow with God. I can get close to God, and I can walk up these steps, and I can be close to him. I can be privileged, fortunate, and blessed with him. So let's walk up these steps with Jesus. Let's, let's follow these steps, and we'll see this morning how we can become privileged with him. So he starts off by saying, um, blessed are the the poor in spirit. Uh, and, you know, we know what people who are economically poor go through. They, they don't have food. Um, they might wonder where their next meal is going to come from. They, they don't have clothes to wear, or maybe they don't have, have new clothes. And there's this, there's this sense of desperation, isn't there, that hangs over their life if somebody is economically poor. And, and Jesus is saying here that somebody is poor in spirit, what's different about them? Well, the person here, we're, these people aren't poor in, in physically. Uh, when they come into the kingdom, when they're coming to the kingdom, when you and I are, are, are coming to the kingdom, we're saying, you know, my problems in life, they are psychological, right? but they're more than psychological. My, my problems are social, they're cultural, but they're, they're more than social and cultural. My problems are philosophical, but they're more than philosophical. Uh, this person is saying, you know, poverty doesn't mean that they don't have smarts. It doesn't mean that they don't have character. It doesn't even mean that they don't have, have passion in life. Poverty of spirit means more like um, that they're short on resources in their spirit. You know, if you and I, if you and I in life, um, if we have a, say, we're short on cash a little bit, right? we've got a financial problem to solve, we're going to go hit up mom and dad for a few bucks first. Um, and then after we've hit up mom and dad for, for a few bucks, we'll probably watch a few YouTube videos 
uh, or maybe buy a book for $12.95 and learn how to take up a new gig. Right? We'll just get a new gig job and drive Uber or something like that and make some, make some extra money. Uh, if you and I in life, you know, if we have relational problems, relational difficulties, we'll, we'll get a counselor, we'll get a, a social therapist to help us through some of our relational challenges. Uh, if, if you and I, you know, if we have personal productivity problems, if we need to get our act together, right, or get our, get our life together, we might learn a new productivity system, we might learn a new uh, a system for getting things done. Right? We've got this great self-help culture, don't we? Excellent self-help culture. I mean, whatever you want to learn, whatever you need to learn, if you've got a problem that you need to fix, hop on YouTube or buy a book for $12.95, and the expert will teach you everything you've ever needed to know about whatever topic it is, and you can be an expert then. Right? You'll have your life solved. And we even do this when it comes to helping people with their, uh, with their spiritual problems, don't we? Uh, we're the first culture that says, believe in yourself, you know, love yourself, actualize your potential. We're trying to say to people, you know, you can even self-help your own soul. If you feel a little short on resources in your soul, you can, you can help your own soul. And Jesus is saying here, you know, poverty of spirit is, is starting to realize many people approach Christianity like self-help. We say, eh, I'm a little down on my luck in life. You know, I'm running a bit dry. Uh, I'm going to come to church for a few weeks. I'm going to hit up church for a little while. And I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to cut a few bad habits out of my life, get rid of the drinking or whatever else. Uh, And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of clean up my act and I will talk to, uh, you know, I talk to the pastor if I, I need to. Um, we approach it kind of like self-help. And Jesus is saying, no, you know, poverty of spirit means you don't say, well, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit messed up. I need to clean up my act a little bit. You say, I don't have the resources. I don't have the, the capacity and the ability to, to fix my life. It, it, it's not saying I'm going to come to church for a little while so I can straighten a few things out. But poverty of spirit means we say, my, my life is a, a wreck. It's a mess. It's in, it's in shambles. And I need some, some real gospel encouragement and forgiveness. You know, it, it's, it's saying to God, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. And my entire life belongs to you. And I'm not coming to you because I need a little boost. I need a little pick-me-up in my life. I'm coming to you because I am spiritually bankrupt. I owe everything to you. My, my, my whole life is empty. That, that's real poverty of spirit, right? And that's the, the first step here. That's the thing that we, we learn to say. So the first thing when we learn of, to, to follow Jesus here, we got this first step in discipleship, is we say, my problems are beyond me. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I don't have the resources, the ability to handle these things. Right, so now, being poor in spirit means that we are starting to face the realities uh, of our life. Now, most people understand that their life has, has problems, don't we? Right, most of us see that, that our lives are, are filled with problems, um, but we're still oftentimes blind in specific areas. For me, it shows up when I start talking about my goals. You know, I, I got big goals in my life. And every six months or so, I meet with a mentor and I tell them about the goals that I'm working on. And I'll say, 
well, I'm, I'm trying to find 10 new gospel conversations and five new people that I can disciple, and, uh, and, and I'm trying to decrease my interpersonal conflict behaviors by 25% or something like that. And they'll say, those are BHAGs. Those are big, hairy, audacious goals. Good for you. BHAGs. And then they say, how's that going? Like, um... It's not, you know, we had Christmas or we had this event and this conflict came up and I got distracted. And the, the, I don't want to see the reality. I don't want to see the face the reality. I don't want to face the real problem that I can't, uh, I don't have the power, I don't have the capacity, I can't on my own power get any of these things done. I, I live in denial of my ability, of my spiritual capacity. And that's where, I, you know, that's where I live. That's where I end up staying. You know, you just can't recognize here. Well, you, you can't, you and I, we can't say, I, I recognize the symptoms in my life. I understand these symptoms. I have, I have a lot of symptoms of a broken spirituality. You've got to dig into that. You've got to dig into the, the symptoms and say, what's causing this? What's the disease behind it? Many of us, uh, we experience a lot of, of changes in our circumstances that cause us sadness. We experience a job loss that, that affects us. We experience relational conflict, don't we? Or, or we experience a death in the family. And, and yet, do we ever ask the question, you know, what's behind this? What's causing all of this? What's, what's eating all of this up? See, being poor in spirit means that I acknowledge I don't have the resources, I don't have the spiritual capacity to handle the problems in my life. But mourning, mourning means I see that my problems, my deepest problems, are sin problems. My biggest struggle is a, a spiritual struggle. It, it's not just a, a, a physical outward struggle. You know, you can tell this, you ask a lot of people, what are your biggest problems in life? A lot of people are going to say, my biggest problems are financial problems. My biggest problems are health. My biggest problems are my relational conflicts. No, right? This is, this is saying no. There's a, when, you, when you mourn, when you mourn, you start to see, my biggest problems are spiritual. They're sin problems. And there's a weight then that starts to push on you. It presses, it presses you. It starts to, to crush you and, and to push you down. And you might almost go into despair because you start to feel like, man, there's just no way out from under these problems. They're going to they're gonna overwhelm me. They're going to get at me. So when we mourn, then we start to say, I, I see my problems, my sin or my spiritual problems. We, you know, we really deal with the reality as they are. So now we've got this, this weight pressing on us because my, my spiritual problems, my sin problems, they're so heavy. They're gonna, I almost feel like they're going to, to crush me. And some people will start to say, I feel like I can't please God. I feel like I can't win. You know? Life is just so frustrating. There's no way out from under this heavy burden. It's going to throw me into despair. But we don't have to say that. That doesn't have to be the way we go because Jesus gives us another option. Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. You realize what that means? Can you see what he's saying? He's saying that if you really humble yourself, 
you won't ever be discouraged in life. At least not so discouraged that you, you despair and you want to give up. If you really humble yourself, you can't be so discouraged that you fall into despair. Because he's saying, if you're meek, you're truly humble, you inherit the earth. You've got the entire cosmos in your hands. You've got the entire universe in your hands. How can you despair? How could you possibly give up in life if you've got the whole world literally in your hands? The meek shall inherit the earth. This is another way of Jesus saying that whoever wants to lose their life will save it. If you lose your life for the gospel, then you save your life. You finally get your real life. You know, so how do you test this? How do you test if you, if you find true meekness, true humility? We just need to know here the difference between true humility and self-pity or, or false humility. You know, so, for example, a lot of people will say, um, I believe God has forgiven me, but I'm not sure if I can forgive myself. Say something like that. You know, right? I believe God's forgiven me, but I don't think I can ever... And that sounds like a, a nice, humble thing to say. It sounds like you've arrived at humility if you say that. Um, but, but what is that maybe really saying? What might that really be saying? Because it, it doesn't that say, I'm, I do believe that God can forgive. I believe God is a God of love. But I have high standards for myself. I'm gonna, I demand a lot of myself. And, and I, I have higher standards maybe even than God. God has standards here and he's willing to forgive me. But I, I have these standards and I don't believe that I can forgive myself. You see what somebody might be saying if they're saying, I believe that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. They're saying, I have higher standards even than the God of the universe. But the God of the universe is saying about you and me, I, I forgive you. I forgive you and, I, and I, I love you. This is a great place to remember what C.S. Lewis said about humility. C.S. Lewis said that true humility is not thinking of yourself, thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So let me say that again to make sure we've got it, right? True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. If you're going to be a, a truly humble person, you're the person who says, God, it's what you say about me that matters. It, what you say is what, what matters. When you say I'm a sinner, when you say I'm a saint, when you say I'm forgiven, that's what matters. That's what I listen to. I'm not going to think of myself as, I don't have to think of myself as less of a person because you've already said I'm forgiven and that's what matters. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I think I am. It's what you think about me that matters. Now I'm going to be finally meek, truly a humble person. So you got a person here right, who is poor in spirit, which means that they can say, I don't have the resources. I don't have the capacity to handle the problems of my life. And then they, they start to mourn because they're realizing my biggest problems are, are spiritual problems. They're the problems that I bring into life. And then they've become meek. They have true humility. They think of themselves less they think of, of what God and he says so much more. And that person 
is the person who will finally be hungry for a truly better life. Or as, as Jesus puts it, he says, that's the person, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there's a great example of this it's told by a woman named Rebecca Pipper. She tells this story of a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. See, righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is just the, the appearance, it's the external appearance that you are doing things right. It's the appearance that you are accepted and approved because you've got a sense of rightness in your life. Men, uh, if, if you think about the fact that uh, you sit around and you play video games and you don't get the chores done around the house and yet your wife still loves you and accepts you and approves of you, uh, that's righteousness. Right? She, is, she is imputing righteousness to you. She's counting you as good and right even though you, you, you don't don't get a lot of the things done, right? So Rebecca Pippard tells the story of a woman coming up to her after a, a conference one time. She was a speaker at a conference, and the woman says, I'd like to talk to you because um, I just got married with my husband at this church, and, uh, and this is a very conservative, very, very conservative evangelical church. Who knows? Maybe it was a Wells church. Um, and so she, she says, what happened is over you know, a couple years back, we were kind of shining lights. We were up-and-coming leaders in this church. And then we got together. Everything was going fine. About six months before we got married, I found out that I was pregnant. Uh, and I was, you know, I was horrified. And we decided that we were going to have an abortion. We, wanted to, we were going to get an abortion. Uh, because why? Because we wanted to maintain the appearance of rightness. We wanted people to accept us and approve us they were, it looked like they were hungry for righteousness. And it looked like they were hungry for this, for God and for his approval and his acceptance. And they wanted that acceptance to pass over their life. Um, but she decided that they were going to, they were going to get an abortion. And so she, day of her wedding, she walks down the aisle and she says, she's thinking to herself, you know, everybody is beaming at her. They're all smiling at her. They love her. And she's thinking to herself, man. You're a murderer. You're, you're just, you're a murderer. Right? She walks down the aisle and, and she's thinking that to herself. And she says, you know, as she's going down and, and then after the wedding, she keeps saying to herself, you were so worried about showing these people who you really were. You were so zealous to look right that you would murder this life. I know who you are, she said to herself, and God knows. And so she turns to Rebecca, this, this woman that she's talking to, and she says, I've, I've confessed this sin over and over thousands of times, and I, I just can't, I can't get past it. I can't put it, put it behind me. How could God possibly forgive me for this? And Rebecca turns to her and says, my dear friend, Jesus Christ died for every sin, for all the sins. He died for the, the good people and the bad people, for the Nazis and for their victims, for the moral people and the immoral people. And, and every one of us committed the sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross. Every one of us was so filled with pride that we put him on the cross. As Luther said, she said to him, as Luther said, we all carry about in our pockets the very nails that put Jesus on the cross. You were already a murderer long before this happened. And even this sin 
was totally paid for long ago. So what do you think happened to the woman then when Rebecca said that? Right? Was she crushed and she, did she say, oh my goodness, my, my life is just over. I can't handle this, right? Um, you're making me feel worse. I mean, I came here to tell you that I committed this terrible sin with this baby and now you're telling me that I actually put the son of God to death on the cross? You're making me feel worse. Do you think she said that? She didn't actually, right? She said, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you're right. I've always believed that Jesus Christ died for sinners and it was my sin that put him on, on the cross. And now I came here to tell you that I did the worst thing imaginable and you're telling me that I've, I've done something worse. I've done something far worse. I put Jesus Christ himself to death and that sin is paid for and forgiven. You know, and doesn't she show us that you and I, so often we are, we're so hungry for approval. We're so hungry for, for this appearance of righteousness that we forget to be hungry for Jesus himself and what he gives. You know what Jesus was hungry for? Jesus well, there's a passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know what that means? It means Jesus was hungry for you. It means Jesus was hungry for you and for me. Jesus was hungry to have a banquet and a feast with us. Jesus was hungry to have us be the center and the core of his life. And it doesn't matter what you do, what sin you've committed, or how much pride you've had that put him on the cross, he wanted you. He wanted to pay for you so that he could have you for himself. And now that he's had that banquet, he has feasted and he is satisfied just to have you. And the more you see how he was hungry to have you, the more privileged you and I get to be. The more we experience and we know the very privilege it is that we are children of God, that we are his righteousness, and he is blessed to have us. So blessed are you when all of these things happen to you, because you then are blessed before God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's true, it's, it's too true that very often, we seek to establish our own favor, our own privileged position in life, that we, we strive and we work after our own good reputation so that we are respected by other people. When truthfully, you have laid out for, the, for us the path to real privilege. You have showed us that it's people who are poor in spirit, people who are mourned, people who are meek uh, with respect to themselves and hunger and thirst for you and for the righteousness that you have that are truly privileged in this world and in the world to come. We pray that you would stir up in us a love and a desire for the privilege that only you can give and that we would receive your, your privilege as a great gift now and always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.